Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine, and I'm John Wiener. Piney Woods, North Carolina, is one of the oldest examples of uninterrupted land ownership by black people. It's been an economically independent and free community of blacks and indigenous people going back well before the Civil War. Blacks have held onto their land in Piney Woods, which makes that community an exception to historical patterns. For that story, we turn to Cameron Oglesby. She's an environmental justice advocate, ecologist, oral historian, and award-winning journalist a Master of Public Policy candidate at Duke, a Memorial Foundation Social Justice Fellow, and a Yale Public Voices Fellow on the Climate Crisis. Her writing has appeared in Earth in Color, Grist, Southerly, Scalawag, and Environmental Health News. And she's a member of the editorial team at The Margin, a platform focused on environmental justice storytelling. We reached her today in Durham. Cameron Oglesby, welcome to the program. Hi, thank you for having me. Well, the Reverend Dr. William J. Barber II and his family come from Piney Woods. Of course, he's co-chair of the Poor People's Campaign and the architect of Moral Mondays. And he writes for The Nation about the Southern movement for racial justice. You recently went to Piney Woods for a celebration of place, which included the Reverend Barber's son, William Barber III. Tell us about that celebration. Yes. So in May, I had the opportunity to go down to Piney Woods. It's about two hours from where I'm located in Durham, North Carolina. Heading into the celebration, one of the first things I noticed was the warmth. And I don't mean the physical warmth. It was a weirdly hot day in spring, honestly, but I'm, I mean more the happiness of this community. There was good food and great conversations. And as I was walking up, I actually remember I was greeted by a distant cousin of the Barbers named Job. He was an older gentleman who didn't realize I wasn't a part of the family and who I ultimately sat in conversation with. Um, he told me about how he had grown up on the property, how he lived in the house right next door to the Vera Brown big house. And he told me about growing up with his twin brother on the property, climbing the pecan trees and eating from what was ultimately very giving land. And he, he told me about his mother, um, endearingly called Sugar Pie James, <laughs> and, how, yes, and how she would make cheese biscuits in the big house for him after a long day of play. Um, I was given a tour of the property by some more distant relatives of William Barber III. I actually did very little interacting with William Barber III at that event. I was talking to all of his family members. Um, these were Michelle and Ben James Jr., they were so excited to talk about the land, what it once looked like, what the family property had meant historically and currently to the community. And they were the ones who, who reminisced on um, their childhood, playing sports, all manner of sports on the property and jumping off of the massive barn with 
with sheet parachutes, <laughs> um, it, it, doing very dangerous things for children. So ultimately, I just want to I want to point out that the celebration was so amazingly simple. The people were so connected. People were so pleased to be able to share their story with me. There was such a connection to the land. It was such a source of pride for them. And ultimately when William Barber III and his team, as well as Reverend William Barber II took to the front to explain what the project was, what the work was that needed doing to make sure the land remained prosperous and in family hands, the amens and the yeses were extremely loud. Really an honor to be able to attend and commune in this community so filled with black joy. What do we know about Black land loss since the early 20th century? Countrywide, Black farm ownership has declined by about 98% through the Ugh. 20th century. Yeah, it's, it's believed that land ownership in acres owned peaked around 1910, 1920, and has steadily declined from there. So today it's approximated that around 1 1.3 to 1.4% of farmers in this country are Black. And recent research has placed the numerical losses, the financial losses from Black land loss in this country at a conservative estimate of $326 billion and a high of about $359 billion with a B. And what do we know about the causes of this decline in Black land ownership? So there, there have been a number of contributing factors to this environmental justice issue of Black land loss in this country. During Reconstruction, many Black people in the South were violently forced off of their land. Those who were not forced might have left to escape the harm of the Jim Crow South as a whole, and others were eventually pushed out due to discriminatory lending practices. This was banks and the USDA less likely, they were less likely to give Black farmers loans. Even my own family, I just want to highlight in Maryland, speaks to this time period where they had to make do with jerry-rigged equipment and supplies just to make it through the growing seasons because they couldn't get these loans. They didn't have access to this financial support from the government. The issues are vast, whether it's heirs' property disputes where Black people, for a lack of trust in government, a, a, a valid Black interest in government, were not writing wills and thus not following legal means of passing down ownership of property, or as we highlight in the article, farm consolidation, which is this general push and investment in big farming operations, concentrated animal feeding operations or CAFOs, which monopolized the agriculture industry to the detriment of small family farms and black farmers. And how have the Barber family in their community been able to hold onto their land when so many other Black people were losing theirs? Barbara III and his family have been really lucky. He believes that the relative seclusion of Piney Woods in deep rural country in the floodplains of North Carolina allowed them to survive and operate without exploitation. He, he referred to them as a hidden gem. People couldn't find them. They were secluded. They were out there on their own, isolated from the rest of the, the exploitation or the, the issues that were that Black farmers and landowners were contending with over the decades. That combined with the tri-racial nature of the community meant that um, oftentimes the Piney Woods community was operating in these liminal spaces between white and Black. So these were people who could navigate into spaces of white supremacy, perhaps they were a bit more white passing, without fear of violence. 
And um, I also want to note that a few in William's family highlighted to me just how marvelous a force some of the original landholders were. I think that was a critical part of their ability to generate wealth and to remain isolated and independent. These were imposing figures, immovable figures. They dominated the agriculture game in that part of the region in spite of the racism. And this dominance allowed the community a level of independence from outside sources, including the government. I think that this sense of pride that community members have in their ancestry and in the family land is an important additional factor that kept the land in the family. You say in your piece at thenation.com, land ownership is about much more than farming. What exactly do you mean? I love this question. Land ownership is wealth at its, at, at its basest form. To own land in the United States is to have a source of income, shelter, a source of wealth generation in the appreciation of that land and its value over time. It is something that can be passed down as many times to as many generations as you like. It transcends time in a sense. It is something that builds cultures. It grounds us in our ancestries. It grounds us in an appreciation for nature, for wildlife, for mother earth. To own land and to take care of land is a character in and of itself. Um, but as I was writing this piece, I drew connection and a bit of inspiration from a reading I had to do for another job that I have at the creative studio Earth and Color. At the time, I was reading a, a portion of Bell Hooks's book, Belonging, her chapter on touching the earth. And there, was a, there were a couple of quotes. The first one, living in modern society without a sense of history, it has been easy for folks to forget that Black people were first and foremost people of the land. As she highlights, Recalling the legacy of our ancestors who knew that the way we regard land and nature will determine the level of our self-regard, Black people must reclaim a spiritual legacy where we, can, we connect our well-being to the well-being of the earth. What she's describing here is what William Barber III is doing with his family land in Piney Woods by creating a sustainability hub out there. And tell us more about the three generation of barbers and their relationship specifically to Piney Woods and especially about the youngest, William Barber III, who I learned from your piece is an activist and an organizer too. Yes, I, I actually, I find this question extremely funny that more people haven't heard of William Barber III. He is a force in and of himself. I, I heard of him, if I'm being honest, before I heard of his father and his father is very famous. Um, but, but starting us off, and I'm gonna to try to keep this brief. There's a lot to say uh, about the, the three generations of barbers and even the, the, the family going back several more generations further than them. But um, really quickly, I think, sorry, give me a second. So starting with William Barber Sr., it is my understanding that he returned home to Piney Woods to have an impact on the community. As we highlight in the article, William Barber Sr. helped with the integration of public schools in Martin and Washington counties, which is where Piney Woods is located. What we don't highlight in the article is that Barber Sr. and his wife and his young son, who would become the Reverend William Barber II, were living in Indiana outside of the Jim Crow South when he ultimately received the call to serve his community back home. So he took his young son out of an already integrated school and into the lion's den 
so to speak, in order to ensure that the young people in his home community, in his ancestral community, could receive a proper education. It's my understanding this is not the only thing that he has done around civil rights in Piney Woods and in North Carolina at large, but perhaps most notably in the research I've been doing and the work I've been doing on this article with William Barber III is highlighting the book that William Barber Sr. wrote, The Disciple Assemblies of Eastern North Carolina, which sort of documents the, the critical development of the black church and black church culture in North Carolina. Um, the book is a bit difficult to get your hands on. I actually had to go to the Library of Congress to, <laughs> to get a copy that was intact um, and clean for reference. But I know that the family hopes to recirculate the book in the near future. And ultimately, it highlights the ways in which Piney Woods Free Union, this community served as the, the starting point, the mother church for a conclave of now very big Black churches across, across the state. And how, you know, understanding that the, the Black church through all of U.S. history has served as a critical civil rights activist point and center point and landmark for this sort of movement building. We've seen that with the environmental justice movement, and which was birthed in, in Warren County in eastern North Carolina literally 40 years ago now. It's the 40th anniversary of the movement this year with steep ties to the church, the civil rights movement, steep ties to church culture and activism. So since I'm sure a lot of you have already heard of Re Reverend William Barber II, I'll move forward to his son, William Barber III. Um, again, I have to laugh at this idea that people haven't heard of him already. I first met him at a climate rally at Duke when I was an undergrad and have since worked with him on numerous collaborations and projects. Um, and despite inheriting his father's and his grandfather's name, he is his own force. He is, he, he is a, an extremely prominent environmental justice advocate in North Carolina. I just have to give him his flowers here really quickly. Um, so some of his titles we mentioned in the article, he's the founder of the Rural Beacon Initiative, which focuses on community relationship building and grassroots organizing to sort of bridge these gaps in climate, uh, clean energy access in disadvantaged communities. He is also, also a chief consultant of environmental justice at the Coalition for Green Capital, which does a very similar thing for uh, black and brown communities in the South. We didn't mention that he's also the director of climate and environmental justice for the Climate Reality Project, or that he is a member of the North Carolina Department of Environmental Qualities, Environmental Justice and Equity Board, or that he's the co-chair of the North Carolina Poor People's Campaign's Ecological Devastation Committee, and so on and so on. He has a lot more titles. So, Although William didn't grow up in Piney Woods, I wanna highlight this. He, he has very much drawn inspiration from his grandfather's work, from his father's work, from Piney Woods as a centerpiece for civil rights and black culture. And, and that has shown itself in his many titles as an environmental justice advocate in the state. Um, I know that he is highlighted in the same way that his grandfather returned home to Piney Woods to make change. William Barber III is returning to his ancestral land to rebuild the prosperous legacy of Piney Woods for Union and the Vera Brown Farm. Will you end your report for thenation.com with the story of the Free Union Farms Hub, which you say can serve as a model for the cultural and environmental preservation of Black rural communities. How does the Free Union Farms Hub work? So the Free Union Farms Hub is a sustainability and regenerative agriculture hub that will be located on 
approximately 52 acres of the Vera Brown Farm property. It is a partnership between the Rural Beacon Initiative and organizations and financers such as the Food Shed Capital, the Croatan Institute, the Alliance for Native Seed Keepers, and Slow Money NC. Um, the, the larger goal is to develop a model for a sustainable, community-centered, resilient economic development in the South, and specifically for struggling Black landowners and communities facing these patterns of systemic land loss and industry encroachment. The project will combine regenerative animal agroforestry, sustainable agroforestry, regenerative agriculture, and the placement of renewable energy like solar panels to create an extremely productive community landmark through the preservation of existing pine tree structures and the pecan forests that, uh, that some of the, the relatives have uh, spent their childhood climbing on by making use of those existing structures, but also developing partnerships with local seed keepers, growers, indigenous gardeners. The project will generate revenue for the community in a manner that keeps the land in community hands while simultaneously replenishing the earth. I wanna add a really big piece here. I think it's important where we're highlighting the, the climate the climate combating aspects, we're highlighting the clean energy aspects, we're highlighting the access and the retention of land ownership, but it's also a matter of making sure this story of Piney Woods Free Union does not die, does not go away as people get older. So the Rural Beacon Initiative hopes to transform the Vera Brown Farm Big House into a site for history preservation, a culture center or a museum center of sorts that will preserve the story of this community to educate people outside of the community on the Piney Woods legacy. If I can put a quick plug in here, I'm actually, I've been working with William Barber III outside of my capacity as a journalist and in my capacity as a Duke student to collect these oral histories, to collect oral histories of environmental justice, of Piney Woods community members' experiences on this land, much like the people I mentioned earlier, Job and Michelle and Ben James Jr., who spoke very pleasantly and honestly and openly about the love they have of this land. I'll be working with him and several other students through a project I'm creating called the Environmental Justice Oral History Project to house oral histories of this community in that museum site as a part of the Free Union, Free Union Farms Hub there, but also outside of Piney Woods to make sure there is a permanent home for these stories so that people might Never forget such a place for Black joy and Black wealth creation existed in this country. Cameron Oglesby wrote for thenation.com about rebuilding the homestead. Her piece was published in a collaboration between The Nation and The Margin, a nonprofit journalism site dedicated to stories about environmental justice. Cameron, thanks for all your work and thanks for talking with us today. Thank you so much for listening. You've been listening to Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine. You can hear more interviews like this one at thenation.com, and you can subscribe to Start Making Sense at iTunes Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Wiener. Thanks for listening. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. 
No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.